0: Good morning again. We continue our walk through the book of Revelation this morning. Of course, the name of the message is the four horsemen. Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. We are introduced in this chapter that things are going to get really bad on this earth. History as well as present day, teaches us and reminds us about cruel times of famine, catastrophe, dictatorship, and many other types of suffering. The seven years of tribulation will be unlike anything ever experienced in the history of the world. Webster's definition of the word tribulation, unhappiness, pain or suffering, an experience that causes some to suffer, hurt, agonize, or to ache. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 21, Jesus said this, There will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. All the wars, the famines, the diseases, the earthquakes, the tornadoes, hurricanes, all the atrocities that have happened since the time of Adam and Eve cannot compare to what the tribulation will be like, what the world will experience. Of course, the great question is, what about the church? What will happen to the church Will the church experience this great time of tribulation? We talked about this back in chapter 3. But a way of reminder, the word church or ecclesia in the Greek does not appear after chapter 3. Just don't find it in the book. It does not reappear until chapter 22, verse 16. And one must also consider the promise that is made in chapter 3, verse 10. The letter of the church of Philadelphia Can that be applied to every church throughout every age, or is it specific to then only the church of Philadelphia? Now, reminder that the persecution that was happening when that letter was written to Philadelphia, and so that promise of escaping this time would bring them great comfort. Now, I will tell you this. It is possible the church will be removed prior to the tribulation. When God's judgment and wrath is unleashed on this earth, the reward of the church in part to be spared from enduring it. Now, I don't want to pick up all my time, talking about if the church is pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, but here's the point I'm trying to make. Those are good discussions to have, but instead of spending all our time looking at that question, when we read about what's going to happen, It should motivate us. It should light that fire in our heart about the gospel so that people we know and care about will not be here to experience it in the first place. Now, there's four symbols under which this judgment will evolve or progress. They're not synonymous. Some do overlap to some degree. We'll see the opening of the seven-sealed book. We'll look at the first four seals this morning. After the seven-sealed book, there is the sounding of seven angelic trumpets, followed by the reverberations of seven thunders, and then the outpouring of the seven bowls of divine wrath. And I warn you now, this is not going to be easy to read. It's not going to be easy to us to take this, because you don't hear much about it preached, about God's wrath and judgment. For me, throughout this entire week, the text screamed to me how amazing God's grace truly is when I look at what's going to happen. And today, we just scratched the surface. Just the four seals are going to be opened that we read about today. This is the tip of the iceberg. Let's go back to verse 1. When the Lamb broke, or opened one of the seven seals... I heard one of the four living creatures, or beings, saying, as with a voice of thunder, or like a voice of thunder, come. Now the New King James translation adds the words, and see, after the word come. And most of your study Bibles will say in early manuscripts you see that, and see. So some of your translations will say, come and see, some will just say, come. Now, that word come is my in the Greek. And in this particular instance, it's imperative form of the present tense verb. It means to come. It's a command. That's what imperative It's command, come. Now, just a few things I want to mention. John has already seen the scroll. He described it back in chapter 5, verse 1. But they couldn't find anyone to open up the seals. We found out who's worthy. Let we go back and talk about that again. Yeah, it's Jesus, right? Only He is worthy. And with the first seal broken, the scroll could be opened one seventh of the way. It would make it possible for John to go up and read the scroll. But John doesn't say anything in the text about reading the words of the scroll. Rather, he describes the imagery of an event that seems to leap to life right out of the scroll itself. So come could be a command for the rider to come forth. But pay close attention. Whichever way you choose to read the text, come or come and see, does not change our understanding about what is to follow. Verse 2. I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering, and to conquer. Bent on conquest, he was wanting to gain the victory. Some view this rider as the Messiah, the Christ. And they'll say that white signifies a conquering king, that when a Roman general or commander conquered over an army or conquered a piece of land, they would ride into Rome on a white horse. They also point to rabbinical literature. That states a rider clothed in white almost has good connotations, if not even messianic ones now some argue this, this is not the messiah this is not the christ but rather they say this is the antichrist and the answer to this dilemma or question can be found by studying the context what i mean by that look at the verses around it look at the chapter look at the book and look at the book in the new testament and look at the book as it falls into place in the canon of scripture well, the second, third, and fourth seals are devastating judgments of God. So what would be the significance of the Messiah showing up on the very onset of the tribulation? doesn't make much sense. That would be a hopeful sign since conquering and conquest by the Lord would bring the earth in submission to him. However, it just seems out of place. Now, when the Lord appears in chapter 19, verse 11, he's described quite differently. Now, in chapter 19, verse 11, he's described as coming on the white horse. And in ver- chapter 19, verses 15 and 16, Christ is coming to destroy his enemies. However, the Lord is presented with many crowns in chapter 19 diadems, those are kingly crowns. And the Lord does not fight with a bow. If you look in chapter 19, he fights with the sword of his mouth, which is. The Word of God. Therefore, one can conclude this conqueror riding on this first horse by the opening of the first seal is the Antichrist mentioned in Daniel chapter nine, verse twenty-six. The rule that will come to destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, if you want more about my opinion on that, I'll tell you afterwards. I'm just trying to cover this. So this is not wouldn't make sense. This is the Messiah more likely. This is the Antichrist coming up which would kind of explain the events of seal 2, 3, and 4 taking place. Speaking of which, let's look at the second seal, verse 4. A red horse went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted, or it was empowered, or he was given the authority to take peace from the earth, and that men or people would slay or slaughter or kill one another and a great sword, or a large sword, was given to him. This second seal does anticipate the resistance of the intentions of the rider on the white horse from the opening of the first seal. Of course, the color red symbolizes terrible bloodshed and slaughter. He's given that great sword as a symbol of his assignment. Now, I remember Jesus back in the Gospels telling us there will be wars and rumors of wars right shake your head yeah (laughs) and we know from the study of history even today that's been the the course of human history sadly there's been always wars and rumors of wars in fact there's wars going on even now but with the opening of the second seal there's going to be a worldwide involvement in such conflicts that surpass all the wars of history. Now wrap your mind around that. You take every war that's ever fought from the beginning of time until now. What's happening here is greater than all that put together. Well, how can that happen? Look back in the text. What does it say? He was granted, empowered to take peace from the earth. Even the years of war, even World War I and World War II, Vietnam, Korea, the Gulf War, all these wars, there's always a part of the earth that's in relatively peaceful condition. There's not constant conflict on every square inch on this planet. But he will take all the peace from the entire earth away. That means there will be no peace on this earth anywhere to be found. We have never experienced that through the entire human history. You just don't see that. The most debilitating traits of greed, lust for power and money assert themselves, creating myriads or multitudes of conflict across the entire face of the globe. That conflict, rather than peace, becomes the rule. What would it look like for the entire world to be at war? No place of peace could be found. This is what happens when the second seal is open. Verse 5. The third seal. A black horse. He who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A court for wheat. For Daenerys, three quarts of barley for Daenerys do not damage or harm the oil and the wine. A Daenerys is a Roman coin. Most translations will go ahead and translate a day's wage because most scholars agree that that was a a day's wage for a Roman worker back then was a Daenerys. Black, of course, of the war signifies the sorrow and mourning that is caused by famine, And the scales that he has in his hand would be similar to the scales you would find if you went to a marketplace back in those times. But notice something. A quart of wheat and three quarts of barley both cost the same amount. You could buy one quart of wheat or three quarts of barley for a day's wage. Now the difference between wheat and barley, barley is constituted from a rougher grain It was more readily available than wheat. Wheat was more expensive, therefore more people who were wealthy or rich would have wheat. And this dry measure court basically keeps telling him what you could cradle in your two hands. That's how much you would get. Just that much. Now can you imagine how much hunger would arise from that? Which makes sense when you go back and talk about peace from all the earth being pulled away. Conflict, the scorching of the earth would cause this to happen. Of course, barley is more plentiful everywhere because people could afford that. Everybody could afford that. So they'd go first, and then the wheat might be a little more protected, but it would go. And so all you would have for an entire wage would be just enough in your two hands to feed your family. That's it. But the text says something else do not damage or harm the oil and the wine. The olive trees and vineyards at least seem to be protected at the early part of the tribulation. There's no real clear reason for this restraint. Perhaps only the rich could afford the olive orchards and the vineyards, and they wouldn't be as so abundant as the, the wheat and the barley, perhaps, The wealthy may seem to be protected some at first, and there's not as many as them that are not as readily available. Can you imagine going to Walmart and Bowie or wherever you do your grocery shopping? Everything's gone except wheat and barley, and the only thing you could get for an entire day's wage is what you could fit in your two hands. Here's a better illustration. If the truck stopped running to fill up the grocery store, how long would Walmart have groceries until they completely ran dry? Not long. So now you have worldwide famine happening. You have war going on. And then you have the fourth an ashen. You may see that translated as a pale green horse. And he who sat on it had the name death. Hades was falling with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine. And with pestilence or plague. And by the wild beasts of the earth. Now the Homan Christian standard does translate that pale green. That's the color of disease and death. And Hades was falling close behind death. Some translations render that the grave. Now, Hades carried a lot of different connotations back to the original audience than we have today. We hear the grave, the word the grave, we think of a place where our body is interred, where we bury the body. But it carried more meaning to that, more meaning than that to the people who first heard this. Because Hades was used to refer to the shadowy world of those who have passed from the visible earthly biological existence to the unseen and partially unknown, the unknowable world of the dead. Now think of this. You have death parading around on his horse, and the realm of the part who follow him. And as Dr. Patterson says in this commentary, it's like you have death, and then Hades is falling behind him like a street sweeper sweeping everybody into the world of the, of the dead. Now you have war, whereas you have the Antichrist, you have war, you have famine, now you have pestilence and plague going everywhere. Doesn't paint a pretty picture, does it? Now, I remind you, this is the first of the seals. But there's something else that grabbed my attention. There is various ways of people dying. People are killed by the sword, the famine, and plague. But look what the verse says in verse 8, the last part of it. It adds, by wild beasts of the earth or animals. Worldwide conflict render widespread burial impossible. The famine will affect the animals just as it does humans. And even today, periodically, a wild animal will take a life of a human. We hear about that, shark attacks. A lion may attack, so on and so forth. However, that's going to change when this fourth seal is open. Apparently, people are going to be killed by animals because they're hungry. That's not my words. That's the words of the text. Now, think about that. The Antichrist shows up. You have worldwide war, no peace. You have famine going around the world. And you have people dying of plagues and diseases. And now you have wild animals eating people. Possibly even eating the dead bodies that cannot be buried. Doesn't paint a pretty picture, does it? Each seal builds upon another. And the conditions get worse and worse and worse. It reminds me of the book of John Jesus' first miracle, he turns water into wine. And each miracle gets more and more to the the one the last he performs before he's crucified is raising Lazarus from the dead. Each one builds upon another. Same principle, each seal builds upon each other. Now some will argue that these seals are not necessarily God pouring out his wrath or his judgment. Rather, he's allowing human depravity to run its course. So bear with me and turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 26 and following. Well, let's go back to 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For the women exchanged natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way, also the men abandoned their natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to the brave mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. There are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, Boastful inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they do not only do the same but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Does that ring a bell to you as we see what's happening in our country even today? That's human depravity running its course. But like I said earlier, that is nothing, nothing compared to what's going to happen during the tribulation. And they will point to that Romans text. See, that's just God letting people do what they want, their depravity. But once again, I go back to Matthew 24, verse 21, when Jesus says there will be a great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor ever will. Or how about Revelation chapter 5, verse 1? John's telling us, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. So apparently this is God's wrath. It was in his hand he wrote the scroll. We see happening indeed God opening up his judgment against the earth. And we think Romans 1, 26 and following is bad. We think what we see is happening is bad in our country even as i speak to you this morning but it's going to get worse and we had just scraped the tip of the iceberg as i say as i said earlier some argue well why worry the church will be raptured before the tribulation begins based upon revelation chapter 3 verse 10 that says because you have kept the word of my perseverance I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. That's the patches people point to that say the church will not be here. If nothing else, please hear me, if nothing else, this to give us a sense of urgency about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Seriously, are you ready? And if you are, are you faithfully sharing the gospel? Because if we love people the way Christ loves them, if we truly love them that way, how can we sit back with our mouths shut knowing what's coming their way? And knowing that we did not do anything to deserve that But by his grace and his mercy and love through Jesus Christ shed of blood on that cross, that's the way we escape this. He is the only way. And instead of getting wrapped up, preacher or posture, we should be concerned. I'm not just talking about strangers that you meet or coworkers. How about our family members who are lost? How can we keep our mouths shut, especially in light of what we read, knowing we just looked at the first four seals. I feel ashamed. Oftentimes I keep my mouth shut when I should open it and proclaim truth. Not to say, look at me or how old I am, because I love them. And I do not want to see them suffer. When I ask you if you're ready, I'm not asking how many times you come to church or you give, Are you helping VBS or Impact? What I'm asking, is your heart ready? Do you know Christ? Not just here, but in here. I'm not a prophet, but I believe with everything that I am, this time that we're reading about is getting closer and closer and closer with every heartbeat, with every breath that we draw, we're closer to eternity right now than we were just five minutes ago. And if you are, if you're ready, are you sharing the gospel with your family, those who you care about? Close your eyes for a moment. Picture your loved ones, people you hold most dear. Can you see them experiencing the Antichrist, the war, the famine, and the death? I wonder, would they look at us and say, why didn't you tell me? Why did you give up? For the first 28 years of my life, I ran from God. But he never gave up on me. He kept putting people in my life. What about you? you are the only Jesus some people see. We know this is coming. We believe the word of God to be true. This should serve as a warning, exactly what it is, a warning to wake us up about what's coming. God is warning us, this is what I'm going to do. And he's provided the way for every man, woman, and child to escape the tribulation, to escape wrath and judgment through the gift of his only son, Jesus Christ, to anybody who will come. doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. This is your time. Let God speak to you. Let him speak to the inner parts of your heart. And I believe most in here to be Christians based on my experience and speaking with most of you. But even now, God's laying someone's name on your heart. Would you be willing to even pray for them? Maybe even come down here and cry out. Don't ask God to send somebody ask God to give you the opportunity. As Isaiah the prophet said, here am I, Lord, send me. We can't give up. We can't throw in the towel. We have to keep going. I know it's hard out there. I know it's difficult. There's a lot of stuff going on, but we cannot give up. There's more, more people I conclude with this passage of scripture that says that God doesn't want anyone to perish, but to all come to repentance. That's why I know this has happened until nothing happened as yet. He's still waiting for more. And He's given you and I the great privilege and honor of taking that message to them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you. For the opportunity to come together. Father, in my own human understanding and comprehension, I can't imagine what this world will look like just with the first four seals broken. Father, you've written it down for us to serve as a warning to us, even as the church to wake us up to the mission to which you've called us to, and that's to share of the gospel. And Father, I plead with you, if there's anyone in this room, anybody within the sound of my voice is not sure where they stand, Father, they will give their heart to you and come to the saving knowledge of Christ before it's too late and for us who are struggling even now as we think upon loved ones and family and friends. Father, we ask for the boldness and the courage through actions and words to demonstrate the love of Christ to them. They too will come to the saving knowledge. Continue to move among us and speak to us, O oh God. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?